Several years ago, I was fortunate to travel through Israel and Egypt with friends. And as much as I'd love to return one day, there is really only one place that still haunts me, that still continues to call to me, that shows up in my dreams and, and in my prayers. It is a shallow cave tucked into a steep hillside high above Capernaum on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. A natural grotto where Jesus is believed to have removed himself frequently for prayer and solitude. From there, one can see not only the lake where Peter and Andrew fished and answered Jesus' call, but also a house quite likely to have been Peter's and a first-century synagogue where Jesus is remembered to have taught and where an unclean spirit was the first ever to recognize him as the Holy One of God. A few of us hiked up the dirt path through the shin-high grasses and sat for a bit on a shelf of stone jutting through the rock wall, mute with the thought that we were seated where Jesus once had himself. I was aware, we were aware, that the polite thing would have been to yield my seat when someone else came along, but I felt such gravity in that place that my body became heavy and my spirit still. Apparently, I was no longer quite as civilized as when I'd arrived. My good manners failed me. I could look down and see my travel mates, tiny in the distance, begin to gather around the bus that would soon be moving on, and still I could not move until the place released me. For a good while after that, I felt different. I felt oddly sane. Today's scripture brought that memory to mind, although it took me a while to figure out why. In today's gospel, Jesus is being confronted by the religious authorities at the temple in Jerusalem. He has been clear and outspoken, and crowds have gathered to hear what he has to say. The temple priests challenge him, by whose authority do you do the things you do? Who authors the words you speak and grants you your voice? As you remember, Jesus had no institutional standing in the temple, had no wealth or social prestige, had no political power, not even the right to vote. How is it that he presumed to stand up and be heard? The questions the temple authorities ask of Jesus are really the questions many of us ask of ourselves these days. We feel powerless against institutionalized powers and prejudices that seem to prevail no matter what we think or feel or do. We are exhausted by what we read and hear and see. We are polarized by politics, stratified by social attitudes and economics, isolated by pandemic. We feel frustrated, alone, and teetering on despair. Jesus, however, living in a time of even greater challenge than ours, seemed tireless, always hopeful, always present, 
I want to know how to do and be the same. By what authority did he do these things? By what authority might I act and speak and hope? Well, Jesus' authority is incarnational. It comes not just from being the living word, the son of God, but also from being the word made flesh. It comes from God emptying the divine self into human form and becoming one with every ounce of the human experience. His authority rested on being God-centered while also at the very same time dwelling with the deepest brokenness of human history. Beginning at the point of being born as a refugee child and later dying as a common criminal executed by the state. As followers of Jesus, this is the authority we are supposed to grasp. Paul writes of it in today's epistle to the Philippians, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And so as followers of Jesus, any authority we have is rooted in our own self-emptying. We are to use our power and our privilege for those who have little or none we are to seek out and listen to the voices who are the most impoverished and most oppressed and to allow ourselves to be informed and formed by their witness. And we are to empty ourselves in prayer as Jesus did so often. We make time to withdraw to stone outcroppings and interior castles and there we pour out our hearts to God. Now we do this not in order to escape the cares of the world or the sight of the suffering or the dreadful and unrelenting news feeds, but instead to relinquish our own imaginings about how things ought to be. We pour out to God all our precious and ruined dreams, our indignations, our outrage, our hurt and unhappiness, which cause us such great suffering, so that God can absorb it just as Jesus did on the cross, and then free us to return again in hope to the world as we find it. God liberates us from self-concern so that we might play whatever part, speak whatever word, to help bring God's dream for all creation to fulfillment. Christian prayer, prayer is not meant to draw us into uninterrupted bliss, so much as it is to reform our lives into an image of the divine that is useful for the times we inhabit. It can be every bit as challenging as it is sometimes consoling. We don't always come out of it the way we went into it. We may be less civilized, even as the odds are good we'll be more sane. 
in self-emptying service and prayer, our lives become increasingly authentic, increasingly hopeful, increasingly holy. Our actions begin to have the authority we seek because they flow from the source of life and love that warms and fills and connects and moves us all. When even the mystic theologian Cynthia Bourgeau needs to be reminded of the power of self-emptying love in the bleakest of times, times when there appears to be absolutely no redemption or saving grace, she pulls out of her pocket a worn copy of the prayer that was left anonymously near the body of a dead child in the Ravensbrück death camp in Germany. It reads... O oh Lord, remember not only the men and women of good will, but also those of ill will. But do not remember all the suffering they inflicted on us. Remember the fruits we have bought thanks to this suffering, our comradeship, our loyalty, our humanity, our courage, our generosity the greatness of heart which has grown out of all of this. And when they come to judgment, let all these fruits which have been born be their forgiveness. We are far from powerless. We have the capacity and the call and the courage to pour out our hearts to God. Bourgeau goes on to say, in all our acts of compassion, kindness, and self-emptying, both at the level of our doing and even more at the level of our being, something is catalyzed out of that self-emptying, something which is pure, divine substance mirrored in our own true face. Subtle qualities of divine love essential to the well-being of this planet are released through our actions and flow out into the world as miracle, healing, and hope. May it be said of us today. Amen. <laughs>